This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Well, now, now you know me, but if you're a guest today, I still don't know you. So what I would love for you to do if you're a guest, I just want to welcome you to New Life today. And, and would you just hang out after the service for a few minutes, grab a cup of coffee, and, and find me in the lobby, because I would just love to meet you and talk to you. Uh, Justin so kindly said it has been quite a year for us as a church, and today I'm excited. We're going to launch a brand new teaching series, and we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about some of the things God's done over this past year, how He's been faithful to us, and then we're going to dream about some steps of faith we can take moving forward in 2015, because I firmly believe, and I shared this with you in our last series, as we step out in faith, God continues to step out in His faithfulness, and His faithfulness is always a little beyond our faith, and so we're going to ask God to do some big things with us this year, and you're going to want to have two things to guide you on this journey today, and they're inside your programs. The first is this. It's that Start Here card, and I'd love everybody to fill that out, and I'm going to ask everyone to use this today. So if you're a guest with us today, if you would just put your name on it and your email address, you don't even have to do anything with it yet. But if I've earned your trust over the course of this next 35 or 40 minutes, then you can go ahead and drop this in some baskets when they're passed a little bit later. So get your name and email address on that. And then the other thing is... uh, Some of you are note takers. Some of you are not note takers. Today, everyone is going to want to be a note taker because I'm sharing some big picture vision for 2015. And you're definitely going to want to have this to take home, to remember, to think about, and to pray about as we continue on this journey together. So go ahead and get your teaching notes out. And while you're filling out that connection card and getting your notes ready, I want you to think with me about the most exhilarating thing you've ever done. For me, It was probably when I was 21, and I decided I was going to go skydiving. Now, how many of you have been skydiving before? Go ahead and raise your hands. Us. Wow, the five of us. That's fantastic. First service was half this big, and I'm not joking, like 25 people had been skydiving with me, which made this uh, story a lot more applicable to them. But you'll just have to go with me here. Here's, here's skydiving. Let me just paint a picture for you about what this looks like. I tend to, to like adventure. I tend to take big steps, and, and I love to, to jump and, and allow God to catch me. And so on a Thursday of one week, right after I turned 21, I decided I'd like to go skydiving. Never had that thought cross my mind until that moment. And so I got online. I found a skydiving place here in the area, called them up. And on Saturday morning, after an in-depth five-minute tutorial video, and after signing my life away, saying, I promise not to sue you if I die, um, I was introduced to my skydiving instructor, and he was this really cool-looking, TiVo-wearing, scruffy-bearded skydiving guy. Like, if you picture a skydiving guy, it was this guy. And, and I had a decision to make, because we were going to jump out of a plane at 13,000 feet— and they told me, this instructor is going to be strapped on to your back. And if anything goes wrong on your 60-second free fall, he will help you. And here's a decision I had to make. Do I trust that guy enough to allow him to strap onto my back and then jump out of an airplane with me, trusting me that if something, or trusting him that if something happens, he will take care of me? And I, I decided to do it. And we have some pictures of me on that skydiving adventure at 21, jumping out of the plane with that, that dude strapped to my back. Uh, he's the only one that should ever wear parachute pants. 
Par- get it? Parachute pants. That's so funny. Uh, that is so funny. Uh, if you look closely, you can see that those were my tongue ring days. So I still have my tongue ring in back then. I was looking through these old pictures. And it's a 60-second free fall at 120 miles per hour, dropping like a lead weight at 200 feet per second with your heart pounding out of your chest and, and just the most exhilarating thing I've ever, I've ever experienced. And I want to tell you, if, if you are on a journey with God, your journey with God should be a lot like skydiving. Once you decide, and we're all on different places of this faith journey, but once you decide, I'm going to trust God with everything. I'm going I'm to step into this life with him. Once you decide to strap your life to God's life, it should be an exhilarating adventure. Once you decide, I'm going to trust God enough that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out, it should be a life-changing ride. It should be an eternity-shaking ride where God's goodness becomes your normal experience in your life. And as we kick off this brand new series today, I just want to ask you to do a little internal check. What is your journey with God looking like these days? Is God more like a really kind grandmother sitting in a rocking chair and you share your stories with God and God says, oh, that's nice, dear, but doesn't really know or have any power to do anything and is kind of disconnected from the rest of your life? Is that, is that what your journey with God is like right now? Or is God like a Tiva-wearing skydiving instructor saying, strap into me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump with you? Is your relationship with God the kind of relationship where you trust God completely and God's got to come through for you because if he doesn't, the, the ground is racing up at you at 200 feet per second as you drop like a lead balloon at 120 miles per hour. What's your relationship with God like these days? And only, only you know the answer to that question. So just do a little processing. And if you want to know that one of the best ways to figure out what your relationship with God is looking like these days, just look at the way you pray. Are you praying big, bold, adventurous, day-to-day shaping, life-changing prayers? Or are you praying small, vague, boring prayers where if God doesn't answer or if he does answer, you wouldn't really know because the prayer doesn't really affect a whole lot of anything. We're kicking off a brand new series today that we're calling Greater Than. And I want to tell you, this series is for you if the biggest prayer you find yourself praying on a regular basis sounds something like this. God, would you bless this food to my body? Or... God, would you keep me safe on my way to work? Keep our kids safe on the way to school? Help me to not get this cold that's going around. If that is the sum and total of your prayers, then this series is your teaching series. Because the truth is, you and I live in a relatively safe part of the world. Uh, We have relatively good jobs in Sonoma County. We have a relatively stable economy, at least when we're, we're thinking globally. And the majority of you, I tell you all the time, you're some of the smartest people I know. That's, that's why you come to New Life every week. And you're talented and you're funny. That shouldn't be funny. You are very smart. Some of you are laughing because you're looking at your spouse. Um, you're talented and you're funny. Uh, you're engaging. Gosh darn it, people like you. And you can live, if you're totally honest, you can live a pretty great life completely divorced from God. A pretty great life. But God never designed you to live a pretty great life. 
God designed you to beat the average, to do better than everybody else, because God wants to strap his life to yours in such a way that you would take the ride of a lifetime. God wants to interact with you in such a personal and powerful way that you would be able to say without, uh, without a hint of hesitation that God is real and God is active and God is moving miraculously in my life. And God's great desire would be that the people around you, your neighbors and your coworkers, would be able to look at you and say, there has to be a God because look at who they were and now look at who they are. If God didn't change them, I don't know what did. You can have a pretty good impact on your own, but God wants you to have a greater impact than you could ever have on your own. There are greater things that God wants to do in your life and that God wants to do through your life than you could ever imagine. And it begins when we engage with God in prayer. And so this whole series is about prayer. And I I just want to say what some of you are thinking right now, because you're not so different than me. The minute you hear prayer, all you think of is your childhood growing up with boring prayers that were repeated over and over again, and you don't really even know what they mean, and they're disconnected from life, and prayer seems extremely boring to you. Or worse, you went to a church where um, maybe prayer was punishment. You did something wrong and you had to say a certain prayer a certain amount of times and then you were forgiven. It was like time out at church. But prayer was never designed to be boring or meaningless or disconnected. Worse than that, prayer is not a punishment. Prayer is supposed to be an adventure. An adventure with a creative God strapped into our lives as we jump out of a plane where we dream big dreams with God where we pray bold prayers. The kind of prayers where if God doesn't come through, we fall flat on our face. That's the kind of bold prayers that God invites us to pray to him. God designed prayer to be a partnership with him, where we partner with God and he does miraculous things in us and through us. And I was reminded that prayer is an adventure when my friend Angela handed me this book, The Circle Maker, about six weeks ago. And this book is a book on prayer that inspired me to dream big dreams and to pray bold prayers. And, uh, and I want to invite you, if you want to take next steps in your journey, what we're going to do for these next five weeks is I've pulled out five uh, miraculous times in the Bible where God has moved on behalf of people as they've prayed to him. And we're going to look at that. My hope is to inspire you to have your prayer journey of your own. Not because these are disconnected stories, but because what God did in the Bible, he also wants to do in your life. And so we're going to look at these stories. My hope would be to give you some practical next steps on how to engage with God in prayer and then inspire you to your own prayer journey. But if you want to take this experience to the next level, I want you to buy this book. And I bought 250 copies because I want I want to sell them to you so you can read it. We don't have time to go through this entire book in this series, but this will be a great supplement. So outside in the lobby, you can grab one of these. They're 10 bucks. We're actually losing money to give them to you, but I just, I want you to have it. I read this entire book in a week, turned it over, started reading it again. Uh, it's just, it's that good and it's inspiring to me. So you might want to grab that book because I want you to experience an, an adventure with God as we head into Easter. This series is going to run us up until Easter Sunday, and then we're going to kick off a brand new series then, which is going to be great. But I want us to, to encounter God in a deeper way, to pray bold prayers and to watch God come through in big ways so that this Easter you would say, I, I, I trust God more than I ever have before. But in order for us to begin a prayer adventure with God, we have to answer three fundamental questions about God. And we have to answer them down in our core. 
And we see these questions answered by two unlikely characters that Jesus ran into on a dirt road over 2,000 years ago. And we find the story in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. And it says this, Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho and a large crowd followed him. In verse 30, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. But the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. And here's the backstory by that. See, when you had some sort of debilitating disease like this, like blindness, and these guys were either born blind or somehow they uh, maybe had a disease that left them blind. But when you got some sort of incurable sickness like this or, or um, something of this nature, the common belief of the day was that you had done something so horrible, so bad, so unforgivable that God was cursing you. And that's why you were blind. Or if you were born blind, the belief was that your parents had done something so bad, so horrible, so unforgivable that it wasn't enough to curse them, but God cursed the next generation and God was cursing you because of something they had done. And because of that, when people saw someone who was blind, their immediate thought was, God doesn't care about that person. God wants nothing to do with that person. That person should stay as far away from holy people as possible. So these two guys in verse 30 shout out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them. They said, be quiet. But the men shouted even louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And then in verse 32, Jesus did something unthinkable. He stopped and he called them and he said to them, and I want you to underline this next part. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? We're going to come back to that. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight, and they followed him. These blind men had three core convictions that opened the door for God to do something miraculous in their lives. Now, I want to quickly highlight these three core convictions as we continue this morning. The first is this. These blind men believed that Jesus was fundamentally for them. That Jesus was for them. And I wonder, do you? Did you notice these guys, they didn't care what the crowd said. They didn't care that the crowd told them to be quiet. They believed that Jesus had their best interest at heart. Do you believe at your core that God has your best interest at heart? That God has the best interest for your finances at heart? For your family at heart? Do you believe that God has the best interest of your career at heart? Do you believe that God has the best interest of your free time at heart? Of your marriage at heart? Do you believe that God wants great things in the ministry that you're part of more than you want great things in the ministry that you're part of? Do you believe that God has your best interest at heart? And if we're totally honest, because you and I aren't so different, there are times that I've believed that God was actually trying to take from me and not give to me. Have you ever had that? God's just trying to take, take, take from me. Usually it sounds something like this. The church is trying to take from me. But what we really mean is God is trying to take from me. Do you believe that God wants to take from you or that he wants to give to you? I loved what Justin shared uh, about communion, that we can love God because he first loved us. Isn't it, isn't it great on Valentine's Day? And Valentine's Day is a fun day, um, but isn't it easier to love someone and to do something for them when you know they've already done something for you? 
Like, you know there's a reciprocal relationship on Valentine's Day. They're going to give you something. You're going to give them something. It's easy to do something for them when they've already done something for you. It's a lot harder to, to be kind to someone and loving to someone when they've been a jerk to you, isn't it? Here's the great thing about God. We're told over and over again in the Bible that while we were enemies from God, we'd been separated from God by our own choices and our own actions, that Jesus went first, that he gave his life for us to pay for our sins so we could be forgiven, to show us that God is for us, that he wants to give love to us and not take something from us. And then our response is we just get to give ourselves back to him because our natural tendency is to assume that God is always trying to take because everyone around us, if we're totally honest, is usually trying to take. And the older we get and the more money we have and the more influence we have and the better we get at our job and the better we get at our, our career— the more people are always trying to take from us, aren't they? Someone's always wants something from you. And if we're not careful, we project that onto God and say, well, if people always want a piece of this, then God must always want a piece of this. And the truth is, God's not trying to take from us. He's trying to give to us. And these guys knew that, so they shouted out. They didn't care what the crowd said. They shouted out to Jesus because they knew if they could just touch Jesus, he would be for them. And I wonder, do you believe that God is fundamentally for you? that he wants to give to you, or do you think he wants to take from you? The second conviction these two men had was our two blind friends believed that Jesus could do a miracle. They believed he could do a miracle. And I wonder, do you? Do you believe God still does miracles? It's one thing to believe God is for you, but oftentimes we relegate God to, to a rocking chair like grandma who thinks, oh, that's nice, dear, that's sweet, dear, but doesn't actually do anything in our lives. Do you believe that God still does miracles? I do. I believe that God still does miracles. And one of the great things about my job, because oftentimes when God does miraculous things, he kind of spaces them out because he doesn't want us to, you know, to, I don't know, have too much maybe at once or something. But in my job, I get to see not just what God's doing in my life, but I get to see what God's doing in your life, in your life, in your life, in your life. And I get to see what God's doing in our community. And one of the great things about being part of a church is that what God's doing in your life can strengthen my faith, and what God's doing in my life construction can, can strengthen your faith. And that's why we always tell you, get into a life group and share stories about life, because, because if God's doing a miracle in your life, he wants you to share it with someone else so that they can, they can be strengthened in their faith. And, and listen, I've seen God do miracles in our church. I've seen God do miracles in my life. And I've seen times when I've asked God to do something, and he didn't answer, or he didn't answer the way I wanted him to. And at some point in this next five-week series, I'm going to address that. What do we do when God doesn't answer the way that we think he should or that we want him to? But I can tell you this for a fact. God doesn't answer 100% of the prayers that we never pray. He just doesn't. Do you believe that God still intervenes? These two men did, and it opened the door for God to do something miraculous in their life. And the third conviction was this. The two blind men on the road, they knew what they wanted from God. Do you? Do you know what you want from God? Jesus walked right up to them. Can you imagine after a lifetime of blindness, he walked right up and he said, what do you want me to do for you? And they knew exactly what they wanted. They said, we want our sight. I want to ask, if Jesus walked up to your door today and asked you that exact same question, would you have an answer? And not just an answer, but an answer that would be big enough that it wouldn't embarrass you. Think about this. You get home from church today, you have your lunch, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door, and Jesus walks up and he says to you, I want to do something for you because I'm for you and I work powerfully on your behalf. What do you want me to do for you? Would your answer be something like this? Well, God, um, could you keep me safe on my drive to work tomorrow? 
No, no, let me try it. Well, God, well, God, um, everyone's getting sick in my kid's school. Could you help us to not catch that cold? How about this one? If Jesus came knocking on your door and said, what do you want me to do for you? Would the best thing you have be, God, God, would you bless this meal to my body? Would you just, would you just go big tonight and bless this meal? Come on, that's funny. Would you? God, now imagine, imagine, wouldn't you be embarrassed if Jesus walked up to your door and said, what do you want me to do for you? And the best thing you could think of was, would you bless this meal to my body tonight, Lord? I, would this just be the most blessed meal I've ever had? I wouldn't, would, would, that, would that taco just lodge right here perfectly? Come out just, you know, I, like, not only would you be embarrassed, I think Jesus would be embarrassed because he doesn't want us to pray wimpy, weak prayers. Nothing wrong with blessing your food, but I would say keep it short because you like your food hot and Jesus wants you to have a hot meal unless it's sushi. Do, do, do you know what you want from God? Seriously. <laughs> Looking back over this past year, there is evidence to believe that God is for us. There's evidence to believe that God does miracles, and there's evidence to believe that God answers bold prayers. And what I want to do for the rest of our time together this morning is I want to tell you about some of the things God's been doing in our church. Now I want to dream about what God wants to do in our church, but I'm only going to do that. I'm only going to do that if you promise me that you're going to get excited with me about what God's doing. So, so that means like erupting in spontaneous applause at various points, or cheering, or amening, or laughing, or that's awesoming, or ooh, you know, something like that. Because listen, I'm not going to share some exciting stuff if you're just going to sit there and be like, huh, interesting. It's not going to happen. So, so I want to tell you about how God has been moving powerfully, but you got to promise to get excited. Will you do that for me? Okay. All right. All right. Good. If you're new with us, by the way, we aren't always like a woo. We're always clapping, but every once in a while, there's a reason to clap. Church is supposed to be more like a celebration than a funeral. Can I get an amen about that? Okay. Good. All right. This year has been a big year at New Life. We have had a lot of transition, and listen, uh, some of us don't love transition normally. Churches in general do not love transitions, and we've made some big transitions, and God's been moving powerfully. Just think back over this last year. We changed our service times over this past year. We used to have two in the morning, one in the evening. For the sake of our volunteers, for the sake of what we're trying to do, now we have three morning services. In most churches, that would cause a huge uproar. We didn't skip a beat. We didn't skip a beat. In fact, in a lot of churches, we would see attendance just fall out the bottom. We actually grew. And you can pray. That would be something to get excited about. Again, churches, church folk, we don't, they don't generally love, they don't love change, but we're not church folk, right? We're people on a journey with God, and we like change because we believe that we are the body of Christ, and bodies aren't supposed to be stagnant. What happens when a body's not moving? What do you call that? You call it dead. We don't want to be a dead body. We want to be an alive body, so we're constantly moving and growing and changing. Uh, we moved all of our life groups, our weekly gatherings, to message-based life groups. In a lot of churches, that would be a uh, just a huge, oh my gosh, what are you doing? People having secret meetings. Not for us. You embraced it. You jumped in. We had a great time. That's fantastic. How about this one? Um, we had a major transition from our founding pastor to me. Okay, to me. Yeah. So to this guy. 
when we decided we were going to make this change, and we've been working through this for years, we met with a number of church experts, and here's what every single one of them told us. They said, it will be a success if, and this is when we braced ourselves, it will be a success if you only lose 40% of your church. Because when the founding pastor transitions out, historically you lose more like 60 to 70% of your church turnover. And they said, and you'll grow back in five or six or seven years, but we're only 17 years old. So that's a long way to go. But it'll be good if you only lose 40%. Get ready. Get ready. Over the past year, we've actually, our, our attendance, our weekly attendance is up by somewhere between 30 and 70 people every single week. We didn't drop at all. We actually grew. We actually grew. Here's what people normally do when there's a major transition, especially with a founding pastor. They hold their breath and they wait. So they, they leave, 40% leave, and then they pull their money because you don't want to put your money into something if you don't know what's going to happen. Guess what happened with our generosity over the past year? Our generosity increased by, get this, $116,000 over the year before. $116,000. By the way, you can see our quarterly statements on the website under our finance page, or if you're a, like a money person, you like spreadsheets and that, you can get all of our financials. We'll email them to you if you grab your Connect card, and on the bottom, if you just mark, show me the money. If you mark, show me the money, we'll show you. That's, that's so funny. Show me the money. I thought of that myself. Uh, Jerry Maguire and I. And we'll send you the whole spreadsheet because, listen, I'm proud of where every single penny goes in our church, and I want to have full disclosure. You can see all of it. You might not be able to read it if you're like me and you don't understand charts, but you can see it all right there. We'll make it the best we can. Show me the money. So funny. All right, here's a few more things to get excited about. Over the past year, we, we were part of and, and this, is, this is God's goodness and our partnership. We were part of seeing 42 people make first-time decisions to give their lives to Jesus Christ. 42 people. That's fantastic. And, and over the last year, we were part of 52 people getting baptized, which is one per week on average, which is pretty cool. Including 10 people just this past weekend, which was awesome. Wasn't it awesome to see our friends get baptized last weekend? Are your hands getting tired? Too bad. Yeah, good, because I got more. I got more. How about this? Our worship teams got together, and they were praying and seeking God, and, and they wrote uh, their own songs, and they cut New Life's first ever worship CD in this past year, and it's pretty incredible, isn't it? I love our CD. So good. So good. In fact, Justin, our worship and finance pastor, has been working, and inside of all of our guest gifts now, we have a six-song sample of our CD going in. So if you're a guest today, it's a good time to be here, because this is the first time this has gone into the bags. You get to have not only this super cool New Life Tumblr, but also six of our songs from our worship CD we just cut. So that's pretty awesome. I love, I love what God's doing through them. How about this? 13 months ago, we hired our first student ministries pastor, Jake Schneiderhand, and God's doing some great stuff through Jake, isn't he? Can we give it up for Jake? He leads Alive, our student ministries, and they just got these super cool I Am Alive shirts, and that's one of the perks of being the lead pastor. You get all the cool church stuff when it comes in. You just have to rep it for him. But if you're a student, you can buy one of these tonight at 6.30, by the way, at Alive. For the rest of you guys, sucka, sorry. You don't get, they only have like 30 supplies are limited. But how fun is Jake? Not only is Jake reaching our students here in a new way, but Jake and I sat down this last week, and we were dreaming about what—I probably shouldn't have said that. We were dream, dreaming about—cut <laughs> it out of the recording. 
about what God might want to do in the campuses. And here's the great part. Jake is getting real strategic about how we can reach different pockets and different demographics on the high school campuses by getting in and coaching sports teams and working with leadership and working with band and having these volunteers get onto the high school campus and the junior high campus. And they're getting fired up about that. And God's going to use Jake to reach our students like no one has in Petaluma. And I'm so excited about it. It's so fun to be part of. God is moving powerfully. He also created Club 56, a ministry for 5th and 6th grade students, which has given them an age-specific place to to engage on Sunday mornings during second service. It's so fun. How about this? Yeah, you can clap about that too. But I got more. I got more. So, and I'm running out of time. How about this? We started in 2014 a leadership development program called Legacy Leadership Program. And we had to start it small because in order to lead a legacy group, you have to have been through a legacy group. And so three leaders started it. And we had 30 people go through this spiritual and leadership development program, going deeper in their leadership than ever before the first year. This year, we have over 50 people going through the Legacy Leadership Program. And my hope in the next two and three years is that every single person who wants to develop as a follower of Christ and as a leader in our church and our community will have a chance to go through this Legacy Leadership Program, this year-long development program, because I believe Christian leaders should be the best, most well-rounded, most holistic leaders in the church and in the marketplace. And we want to equip you to be the best leaders in the church and the marketplace that we can. And I'm so excited about what God's doing through legacy. So that's, that's pretty exciting. How about this one? We've been praying for years that we would get rid of the dirt parking lot because it's a dirt parking lot. The problem is, I've told you this before, it's something like three or four hundred thousand dollars and no one's come to me and said, Kevin, I just got an extra four hundred grand that I want to, I want to use to put cement over dirt. That, that's until about five months ago when uh, a family started coming and he oversees the smart train that's been coming through. Uh, and he said, we want to do a philanthropy. We want to use our guys and gals to help um, level and prepare the parking lot. And that would get us part of the way to getting this paid. There's more. Get ready. There's more. And then three days later, the rep from the health center down the street said, pastor, can we use your parking lot just during the week to park our staff? If you let us do that, we will be generous to you. And they're donating somewhere in the hundreds of thousands of dollars range to the church so we can pave out that parking lot. And then we had local business owners, and I'll tell you who they are by name as we get a little further in this process, because I want to celebrate them. But they said, well, we've got a trucking company. You can use our trucks. We've got a rock company. You can use our rocks. We've got this. You can And get this, by the end of this year, we're going to have a paved parking lot that should have cost us three to four hundred grand, and we're going to have it for free. That's pretty amazing. It is safe to say, looking back on this year, that God is for us, that God is working on our behalf, and that God does miracles. Every one of those things that I just talked about is the miraculous hand of God at work in us and through us. And that doesn't even mention the marriages that are being saved right now, the students that are being raised up to know their their purpose and their identity and go off to college and then become world changers. That doesn't talk about the kids who are being raised to know and love Jesus from an early age. doesn't talk about the dreams that God has birthed in you for your family, for your workplace, and for this community. It doesn't talk about any of that. Those are just some of the miracles God's done. And I could keep you here for days telling you stories of God's faithfulness to our church. And it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. God has even greater things in store for us for 2015. And I want to be the kind of man, and I want to be the kind of pastor who dreams big dreams on our church's behalf, who prays bold prayers for us, 
and who lives a life on adventure with God. And I want you to take this journey with me. Will you take this journey with me? Will you do it with me? Yeah. All right. Well, that's good, because now I'm going to tell you what I've been dreaming about. And you just said yes. So thank you. Over the last four months, God has been, has been just putting on, on my mind and on my heart some big dreams for our church for 2015. And so I went to our pastoral staff, and I went to our spiritual stewards, who are made up of three guys, Rick DeCarly, who's one of the founders of our church, and uh, Jason Reese and Aris Pola Georges. And I asked our pastors and our spiritual stewards to pray with me to confirm the way that I feel like God is leading me to lead our church. And they came back, and they did confirm it. And so I want to share with you some of the big things we're asking God for this year. And I'm going to ask you to partner with me in prayer and partner with me on taking this adventure with God. We're asking God over this next year to use new life, to reach 800 people every week by the end of the year. Listen, over this last year, we grew by 50 to 70 people, and that's a great step, and that's a fun step, and, and, and that matters. Listen, every, we, count, we count people at New Life because people count at New Life. Seriously. And we set numeric goals because every number has a name. Every name has a story, and every story matters to God, and every story matters to us. And so, yeah, we count numbers because people count, and we set goals because every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And so your story matters to us. And we could, we could continue to grow by 50 people a year, and that'd be a great thing, but we want to take a step of faith, not based on what we can do, but what God can do. So we're asking him to grow us by somewhere between 200 and 230 people a week by the end of the year. And I don't know if you know this or not, but, but we don't all come to church every week. I do, but I get paid to be here. Um, so really, if we want to see 200 to 230 people more by the end of the year, that means that we would be reaching somewhere around 400 people between now and the end of the year, new people in our church. And here's why I want us to pray into this, because God loves the people of Sonoma County. Someone's got to give me an amen for that. God loves the people of Sonoma County. God's heart breaks for the men and the women and the children who don't yet know him. It breaks his heart. And I was reminded of this again just this past week. I was, I was with some, some friends up at the Sonoma County Courthouse, and I was helping out with some things, and I had the, the opportunity to sit in a courtroom and watch a judge sentence a, a number of people, and it was repeat offender after repeat offender after repeat offender that I sat and I watched. I watched one guy, and he— um, he got a DUI while on probation for a DUI. It's like, ooh. I watched one guy, and this is one that, that stuck out that's going to stick with me for a while. I watched one guy, probably mid-20s, good-looking guy. He'd been in lockup for a number of months at this point. Um, and he's got his whole life ahead of him. And, and he stands up when it's his turn, and he faces the judge, and he just starts to cry. He's addicted to drugs. He got busted for drug use while on probation for drug use. So he's been in jail for a good long time now, and he said, I've missed the birth of my daughter, and now she can hold a bottle, and I haven't seen it. And he was in there because they were thinking about putting him in jail for four years without a chance of parole, or they could put him on probation. Well, the judge, through a number of things, decided to put him on probation for three years, but she said, if you so much as smoke a joint, in the next three years. You will go into jail for four years without any chance of parole. I will personally see to it that that happens. And she looked him in the eye and she said to him, will that be a big enough deterrent for you to stop using? To which you and I would respond, absolutely, thank you for this opportunity. And he sat there silently for 30 seconds. With tears in his eyes, he looked at the judge 
And he said, I don't know. I hope so. And my heart broke. And all I could think was, I wish you would come to new life because you would be accepted here and you would be loved here and you wouldn't be judged here. And more than any of that, you would encounter Jesus here. And Jesus is the only chance you have of changing your condition because Jesus is the only one who can change the human heart. Because we can do great things as a church to love people, but the church is the hope of the world, not because we love people well, which we do. The church is the hope of the world because it's the place where Jesus Christ changes the human heart. And without God changing his heart, he's gone. He's doomed to a pattern of repeating this addictive behavior and missing his kids and ruining his life and missing out on eternity with God. And I just thought to myself, please God, let us be the type of church that reaches that kind of guy. And so we're saying, between now and the end of the year, would you use us to reach 800 people a week? That's something that has never been done in the history of our church. And to the best of my knowledge, growing by 200 people in one year is something that's never been done in Sonoma County ever, ever. Which makes me think this is exactly what God wants us to do right now. Because when this happens, we're not going to be able to say, well, it was just us. Look, everybody's growing. We're going to say it's God's faithfulness and God's moving miraculously. So I want to do that. I'm so excited about it because Jesus is in the business of changing human hearts. And he does it one person at a time. So we're praying for 800. The the second thing we're praying for is uh, I'm asking God to increase our pastoral staff by at least one, if not two staff members by the end of this year. A church at our current size, if we were fully staffed for growth, would have eight full-time pastoral staff. We have five. We have five right now. And we're understaffed and we're limiting what God can do through us in this church and in this city because of it. And we're we're limiting what God can do in your life and in your family because we're understaffed. And, And we're limiting what God can do because I am spreading our staff team too thin. I'm asking them to do too many things, and so they do everything a little less than they could if we were more strategically engaged and had a few more pastors to lead and mentor and guide this church. And so we're going to step out in faith. We're going we're gonna to hire at least one, if not two, staff this year. And I want to tell you, I'm already working on our first hire, getting the foundation in place, because I believe God's going to do a miracle, because it's long overdue for us to hire. So I'm going to tell you uh, what our next staff hire is, and this would be a place where you would definitely want to erupt into spontaneous applause. So just get ready to be spontaneous in just a second. Our next hire we're working on right now is we're going to hire this year, we're going to hire a children's and family pastor, and I'm so excited for that. Yeah. We've made, it, we've made it to over 600 people a week without a children's pastor. Are you kidding me? God's been working despite us. I want to partner with God so he can work with us and work through us, not work despite us because we don't have a kid's pastor. We've got great volunteers. If you're a Kids Life volunteer or a Zone volunteer or a Club 56 volunteer, would you stand up and just remain standing for a few minutes? Just stand up. Kids Life, Zone, Club 56. And stay up. Stay up. I know you're going to feel weird. Stay up for a second because here's what I want to talk to you about and I want to talk to families about. I want God, as we hire this pastor, to increase our capacity to reach the children of Petaluma. See, God has called us to also partner with families to help them raise their kids to know and love God. Listen, no organization in Petaluma is doing it the way that God designed us to. Why? Because God gave the church to help partner with families, to raise families, and we need to do our job. And for those of you who are volunteers, I'm so excited. You are amazing 
You are amazing. My kids are in your ministries and they love it. Yeah, I love what you guys are doing. I love what you guys are doing. And I'm so excited because hiring this pastor is going to resource you to do the ministry that you're called to do better than you've ever been able to do it before. I can't wait for that day. Uh, Hiring this children's pastor, we're going to transform uh, our rooms, our communities to to be irresistible environments for kids. My dream is that you guys will say bye to kids and they will be yelling and screaming and crying because they don't want to leave your classrooms because they love it so much, which then will tell the parents, hey, we've got a parenting seminar next month so you can learn how to curb your children from yelling and screaming and crying. My great desire is that they'll so love kids' ministry, they won't be able to get enough of it. They'll say, let us come to two services because one just ain't enough. All right, you guys can sit down. I just love you guys and I want to look at you for a second. Listen, hiring this pastor will create venues for parenting seminars that we've been wanting to have for years, for years. It will resource our teams and it will free up our current staff. Right now, Jake, our student pastor, is also overseeing Club 56. He does that during second service, which is a great gift. But Jake was built, he was born to lead junior high and senior high students. I want to help him lead junior high and senior high students. Pastor Angela, who is one of the best leaders I've ever seen, she is right now overseeing our kids' life and zone teams with these incredible volunteers. But she also is our life groups pastor, and she's our legacy leader. She leads all the teams that are leading these 60 people through legacy. Listen, she was designed to do leadership development. She was designed for that. I want to free her up to do what she's called to do uniquely and go deeper in that for your sake. And hiring this kids pastor and family pastor will give us the opportunity to do that. I am so excited about this hire. And that's one. That's one. I'm not going to tell you about the second one yet because I got all kinds of ideas as God provides for the first one. We're going to be hiring. Listen, if we want to, if we want to hire for growth, we need to have probably two more pastors than our weekly attendance would tell us. So if we have 600 people a week coming right now, we should have eight pastors right now. When we have 800 people a week, we should have 10 pastors because the truth is when 800 of us are coming every week, that's actually more like 1,200 of us coming over the course of a month. And that's a lot of people for five people to try to lead and develop. And so we're going to do that together. I'm so excited about that. And then here's some more big stuff I'm praying about. And I'm going to, whoo, I'm getting excited. Um, I'm asking God, And our leadership team is asking God to give us the ability to transform our campus in three ways. One, by getting a new roof. Our roof is over 30 years old. Uh, Listen, if if you want to get wet, come up and get baptized, but you don't want to sit in those chairs and get wet on a rainy day. And right now, that's what happens. Every once in a while, I walked in this morning, uh, part of our roof and one of our classrooms down there had completely fallen out from the rain last two weeks ago. It's just the way it goes right now. Our roof needs to be fixed. Dan George is a guy in our church. He has a roofing company. His team comes for free and patches this thing the best they can, but it's not fair to him to try to help him work on a 30-year-old roof. A new roof is going to cost us fifty dollars to $100,000. We're praying that God provides for it because we need a new roof. I- I'm so excited about this. Uh, I want to create a sports court and patio area. So imagine those doors that you came in uh, and you had that little block of cement. Instead of your kids running out there, especially your two and three-year-olds, right now they run out there and what do they do? They go play Frogger with the cars that are coming in. Well, when, when we're paved all the way out to the Rand Street over there, we're going to close off that first set of parking, and we're going to put cement all the way out in that first area when you walk out these doors, and we're going to have tables, and we're going to have chairs, and we're going to have bleachers, and we're going to have fire pits, and we're going to have barbecues, and we're going to have music, so you can create a patio space, a great place for you to be. And then imagine, look, just a picture beyond this wall right here. Just look this way, beyond this wall, where the big dumpster is, very attractive, where that big dumpster is. We're going to have a huge sports court 
I don't know if you've seen the two big basketball standards we've been saving for a time such as this, but we're going to create a full-length basketball court right here. And then next to it, yeah, you can get excited about that. Next to it, next to it, uh, we're going to create some multi-use flooring and have volleyball standards and then maybe some soccer goals because I love soccer. Any soccer folks in here? Some soccer goals, some volleyball standards. You'll use it. Your life groups will use it. You'll have pickup games with your friends. Your kids will use it, and they won't have to play Frogger in the street anymore. It's going to be epic. It's going to look so good. Listen, listen, right now our church looks like an abandoned warehouse, and that only works on Halloween, okay? <laughs> For the rest of the year, this is a bad look. This is a bad look. We, want it, we can do better than that, and we're praying that God opens the door for us to do that. And God's already doing it uh, through a generous donation that we got recently, so I'm excited about that. And then finally, um, I'm asking God to do a build-out of um, two to four classes upstairs. Two to four classes. We actually have the space for them right now, um, but we've got a plan set to mentor you intentionally in a path over the next couple years. Because as our church grows to 800 people, 1,000 people, 1,500 people, I can't speak to each of you uniquely the way that I want to, the way that you need to be led and taught. So we've created classes on parenting, on marriage, on finance, on, on work, on, um, on going deeper in your understanding of the Bible, on prayer. And these classes are going to happen concurrently during our services when your kids are already in kids' ministry. And we've got the classes in place, and we've got the leaders earmarked, but we don't have the space currently to do it. And so we want to build out our upstairs, and to do that, we need to get um, an elevator to work with safety standards. And an elevator, again, fifty dollars to $100,000. And then once that's put in, when you walk out here, when you turn around, you're going to see where it says Connect, Develop, Serve on that big wall. We're going to cut that wall in half, and we're going to put a stairway in the lobby going up. And you'd go up these stairs, and then you'd have classrooms on either side, either two huge classrooms or four uh, really good-sized classrooms. Some of them are going to be coffee house feel. Some of them are going to be classroom feel. And we'll have those classes up there during the services to train you and equip you to live the life you were created to live better than ever before. So that's a build I want to have. I'm really excited about that. And in order for God to do all these things, in order for God to do all these things, and he, we're asking him to do big miracles, reach 800 people a week, 800 people a week, to add staff to lead life-changing ministries, and to transform our campus from the abandoned warehouse look to a, a place where you would want to come and want to engage. Because the truth is, here's what we found out, that a guest, a first-time guest to our church, makes up their mind about whether or not they're going to come back to our church in the first 30 seconds to five minutes of being here. That's before they ever hear a worship song, before they ever hear me preach. Some of you are like, thank goodness. You know what the first 30 seconds to five minutes is? It's the parking lot. Now that seems odd, doesn't it? But don't we want to reach anybody and everybody? Don't we say all the time, we'll do anything short of sinning to reach our community? Don't we say all the time, we're going to knock down every barrier that would keep people from encountering God? So if people are going to decide in the first 30 seconds whether or not they're ever going to give God a chance and come back to this church, wouldn't we want that space to be the best space it could ever be? Come on, let's get excited about this. Plus, I know you want to play volleyball and soccer and basketball out there. I know you do. I've seen it. I've seen it. It's going to be awesome. Now, I have one final miracle I want to share. I'm asking God in this next year to make us the most generous church in Sonoma County by increasing our general giving to $1 million a year this year. And then to continue that over the coming years. A million, and then more and more and more. All right, that's what I like to hear. I was waiting for that. 
That's an increase of roughly $228,000 over last year's generosity, which was $114,000 up from the year before. Listen, that is a huge step. And we could, we could market out our trends and we could say, well, if we grow by $50,000 again this year, then in time we'll get there. But that doesn't, that doesn't encounter God and it doesn't help us take steps of faith. And when we step out in faith, God always shows his faithfulness. So we're asking God to do something major, $228,000 more generous as a church than we were the year before, which was 100 and what I say, 16,000 more generous than we were the year before that. We're asking God to make us the most generous church in Sonoma County so we can do something that no church has ever done, which is reach our community 800 people a week. Because listen, listen, every single one of you who came to faith at New Life, every single one of you who has come here over the last 17 years came here because people dreamed big dreams and prayed big prayers and put their faith in action with big generosity so you would have a space to meet. And I'm just asking us that we would do the same thing for the 90% of our community that still doesn't know God. Could we be that church to do that? God asked our, our two blind friends on the road, what do you want? And they asked for a big miracle and God came through in a big way. And we know what we want God to do for us in 2015. We're dreaming big prayers. We're partnering with God to do big things, do big miracles. And I don't know exactly how God's going to come through, but I believe he is going to come through. In fact, I have some ideas on that million-dollar mark and what I think God might want to do, and I'll lay that out for us in the series coming up after Easter, but what I think God's going to want to do through us as we partner with him. But here's what I know. God is going to come through. He's been coming through for the last 17 years on behalf of New Life, and he's been coming through in big ways in the last years we've partnered with him, and he's going to continue to do it. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.